Hey there, welcome to the TWE podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things related to horse training, horse keeping, and being better horse people for our horses. I hope you enjoy this episode today. And if you'd like to share your thoughts with me or have suggestions for future podcast episodes, please feel free to reach out to me through social media or the TWE website, thewillingequine.com. On my website, you can also find a ton of great information about horse training and keeping in general, as well as check out the TWE services and just learn more about us. Also, we have courses and memberships that you could sign up for. Before you do that though, I would love for you to listen to this episode and I hope it inspires you in a positive way today. Hey guys, welcome back to another TWE podcast episode. Today I have a very special guest for you, Steph K from Steph K Equestrian, and she's here all the way from Missouri. And we wanted to talk about um, positive reinforcement implemented in lesson programs and like what that looks like, how do we go about doing it, and just talking about that in general. Like how do we teach lessons? How do we teach kids, adults, anybody to train with positive reinforcement in a lesson program. And also what does that look like to teach horses to be able to do those lesson programs with us? So before we go into that, I'll have Steph introduce herself. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your program and like where you're from and your barn and just kind of give us a little background. Um, So as I said, I'm Steph. Um, I'm from Missouri, um, Southwest Missouri. And born and raised there, moved to Canada for a little while and um, coached up there for a little bit in the Vancouver area and then came back to Missouri to start a 100% positive reinforcement force-free facility, like equine training program. And um, I had no clue if it was going to work, but I did it anyway. (laughs) Sometimes Um, that's the best thing is just to try it. (laughs) Yep. And it did. I was really, really pleasantly surprised. Um, I started implementing positive reinforcement um, techniques before I moved to my current facility in Missouri. And um, I was having a lot of success with it, but I wanted to give it a go and see if we could do it 100% um, and sort of test out that whole willing equine theory. Like, can <laughs> we have a horse that is willing the whole time? Can yeah. we, like, maybe we can have them willing sometimes, but can you really ride them and have them be willing? Can you ride them in lessons, like, mm-hmm. consistently enough to not only be able to teach lessons, but also, like, have from the business business perspective, um, like have them participate and make money and be reliable. And yeah. I mean, because the reality Um, is we do have to make money at some point to be able to support them. Yes. Yes. They eat a lot. (laughs) They do eat a lot. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And so now, um, my business has like grown and changed. My whole program has over time, um, and sort of molded to fit the horses and what they need, um, and how the training works. And I've grown a lot in the process. Um, right now, the way my business is structured, there are sort of three, core components. Um, There's the rescue rehab program. I take in horses from a variety of situations. So maybe um, like slaughterhouse rescues or um, auction rescues, kill pens, um, neglect situations. They were horses that were seized by the SPCA for like abuse, neglect situations, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, And I rehabilitate them and then I retrain them with positive reinforcement with the goal to hopefully eventually rehome them. Um, And again, that's something I didn't know if that was going to work out when I first started. Um, But but... you've been successful with that. I mean, we've just spent a long time talking about the different (laughs) situations, different horses and different places that uh, they got rehomed to. And yeah. And um, and so that's that's been successful so far. I mean, I'm sure there's big learning curves. Big learning curve for sure. But 
definitely getting there. And yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think I am there at that at this point. Um, and then um, the other like big portion of my program is the lesson program. Um, so I'm really big on education. Um, I always have been since I was really young, huge nerd, um, especially when it comes to horses. Um, but I love education. I think education is really the key to being really good at what you want to do, especially with horses. I think it's a really big key to train them ethically and effectively. I think if you understand like how the horse's brain works and what they're capable of learning, you're going to be a lot more effective at teaching them things. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've always been a huge advocate for education. Um, and I love teaching. Um, I love working with kids. I love all of that stuff. And so, um, it set me up to be a pretty decent person to have a lesson program. That said, I actually thought for a long time that I didn't want to have a lesson program because there are some, definitely some ethical and welfare obstacles that you have to yeah. overcome in order to do that. Um, well, I think, um, just for the listeners, I mean, talking yeah. about, you know, a lot of us have been in those types of lesson programs where the ponies are just taught to go round and round and round and yeah. round and round and round and round some more yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and do the yeah. same thing over and over yeah. again. And I know for myself personally, um, the lesson horses that I grew up riding on, I mean, they would do, they would teach three to four lessons a day and yeah. those were hour long lessons yeah. in the Texas heat and yeah. after school program. So we're talking yeah. four or 5 PM. Yeah. And so we're talking like hundred degree temperatures Yeah. and these horses would ride over and over again. And then, but I mean, it made the most sense from a business perspective mm-hmm. because they could use, you know, one horse's mouth to feed, right. And yeah. one medical bill and all of that yeah. and teach all of these different lessons. I mean, yeah. they had many horses, but I'm talking about like, it would yeah. be way more expensive from a business perspective to have, you know, one, like, um, instead of having that one horse do three lessons, have three horses to do those lessons. So yeah. like yeah. ethical stuff like that, yeah, like we're exactly, talking yeah. about, being able to do a lesson program where we don't overwork the horses yes. and where yeah. they each have like a saddle that actually fits them yeah. and yeah. the proper medical care and the body work. And then yeah. we're also talking about it from a training perspective too, where they're not um, in a constant, like shut down, learned yes. helpless. Like we just do our job and then we go back and eat and then we come back and do our job again, yeah. you know, over and over again. Yeah, so. yeah. absolutely. I agree. And that resonates so much because that's a lot of the stuff that I've had to work with and a lot of the hesitations I had going into a lesson program um, and forming a lesson program. And I think um, the big key there is even with all those obstacles I was facing, I still wanted to start one because from the perspective of just looking at the equine community as a whole, everyone has to get their start somewhere. And I think lesson programs are really, really important. We need to have them. We need to have an easy way or not necessarily even easy, but just an accessible way Mm -hmm. for people to learn about horses, interact with them and learn those foundations Mm -hmm. so that they can get started in the sport because it's really, I mean, it can be done, but it's really not ideal if somebody just buys a horse and learns from there. No, definitely not ideal to do it that way. Like, I do think there are some great, like, schoolmasters out there that really know their stuff, and you can, like, buy a horse and bond with that horse and really get to know them and learn on them as long as they've already been trained. But then you get into the positive reinforcement thing of, well, where do I find a horse that's perfectly well-trained and really experienced with positive reinforcement to learn on? Um... And well, and a lot of those horses, those schoolmasters, are the horses that could essentially be considered, quote, safe for mm-hmm. a true, true, true beginner to yeah. start with outside of a lesson program. Um, we're talking about horses that are potentially very shut down and yeah. potentially have had a really hard life yeah. and a non ideal training as 
from the science perspective, from our perspective. And so when, at least in my experience, and you can tell me your experience, I can have the most, you know, safe, whatever horse. Um, But when they're not in that learned helpless state, when they're not shut down, they still express themselves like horses. And when you're talking about a thousand plus pound animal, um, a true, true beginner without the assistance of a coach or lesson program could really get themselves hurt. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, that's definitely an issue because a lot of people want to do positive reinforcement training, but then they don't have access to a lesson program or school horses that they can learn with. And they can't buy a horse that has been trained with positive reinforcement because I do think it's totally possible. I've done it several times, trained a horse with positive reinforcement force-free and get them to a point where they are safe for beginners and reliably safe for them. Um, but those horses are hard to come by. Like there are only so many, like I, I only have a few myself (laughs) and I'm trying to make more and more every day, but, um, finding those horses can be difficult. And so, and if you buy one that's traditionally trained and like you said, like they're safe to some extent, but a lot of times they open up later. Yeah. Yeah, Cause you can, they can start off in that, like quote, husband safe, (laughs) kid safe, whatever. And then you allow them to wake up. And they unpack all that baggage and it can become something very dangerous very quickly. Exactly. Yeah. And that is not an argument for keeping them in the learned helpless state, but it is an argument against having true novice beginners go out and buy a traditionally trained horse and then try and transfer it over to positive reinforcement training without assistance. Yeah. Yeah. I usually try to explain to people that um, just because a foundation is built and it exists doesn't mean we can build on top of it. Mm. Um, And a traditionally trained foundation that is based on learned helplessness and those sort of shut down principles we can't always build off that with positive reinforcement True. because eventually it will fall apart. And so sometimes sometimes we can slowly rebuild things. Sometimes we have to start from scratch and build a brand new foundation. Like there are lots of approaches and it's totally unique to the horse and the situation. Um, it's almost yeah. like if you were to, you know, have that, if we're talking about like a house foundation, my brain yeah. just went into this mode where I'm like <laughs> <Yeah>. imagining <laughs> analogy. But like yep. if you built a foundation for like a one-story house that maybe was... 2,000 square feet, whatever, right? Yeah. That was your traditional foundation. Yeah. And then, but now we want to do a positive reinforcement one. And let's say it's, you know, has a totally different floor plan. Exactly. It's now a two-story house and 2,500 square feet. I don't know, whatever. It's a different foundation. A foundation is there, but you can't put the second house on the first one. Exactly. It won't fit or it'll fall apart or whatever. And sometimes, like you said, you can modify the foundation, but sometimes you have to tear it all the way down and start over. Yeah. That is absolutely correct. Um. Yeah. And so I'm sort of getting back to like the whole idea behind a lesson program. So we've sort of, yeah, it's not a good idea to just go out and buy a horse regardless of the training background. It's going to be really uncommon that you'll find one that has the training you need to just start off and learn positive reinforcement. Um, Which we do hope eventually changes. (laughs) Yes. But right now at our stage. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that said, even if you find the best horse ever um, that is really nicely trained, um, it's still not the best idea to just get your experience from that one horse. I have found that the best equestrians have experience with lots of different horses. Um, And sometimes there are things that we can't even see early on, like maybe based on like the rider's build or the rider's um, like the length of their legs or stuff like that, they'll fit better on certain horses that are shaped a certain way or built a certain way. Um, And then maybe you have riders that carry certain tensions or anxieties. And there are some horses that pick up on that and help calm the riders. And there are others that would react to that. And so Mm -hmm. you can't always know until you have experience with horses and you've interacted with them a lot. 
you can't always know the the type of horse that's going to really fit you. Yeah, that's um, true. And that's where lesson programs can be really handy. Try a variety of horses, get to know a variety of them, and learn what you really click with. Yeah. Um, and so I have this issue where, on one hand, um, I don't feel like horses are happiest in lesson programs. And I sort of, I want to emphasize, I don't feel like they're happiest. I think that they can be happy in lesson mm-hmm. programs. I think that there are plenty of lesson programs out there with happy horses. There are plenty out there with bad practices. But I think that they can be happy there. I think my horses are very happy in their program. That said, I have never met a lesson horse in my life that is happiest being a lesson program horse with lots of different riders ever changing. Um, I think that they would always be happiest if they could match with that perfect person. Hmm. Um, And so far that's worked out really well. (laughs) Um, And so I have this like sort of double-edged sword. I'm like, well, we need lesson programs, but I don't want to have lesson programs. Um, And I'm trying to find a way to get to accomplish both. Yeah. And that's where the rescue rehab started to really come in handy because I started using the rescue horses. Um, I would rehabilitate them, retrain them. And once they were safe enough that they could be ridden or even do groundwork with some of the beginners, um, we would start doing that. So we're trying to fit these pieces together. We want to provide access to the equestrian community, particularly from that positive reinforcement training perspective, while also making sure that everything's really ethical and all the welfare stuff is good on the horse side. Yeah, and Um, they're happy with their job. Exactly, yeah. And so, um, and honestly, going into this, I will say, like, I did not know if this was going to work. I really wanted to try, and I, luckily, with my life circumstances, I was given the opportunity to try this, and I sort of went into it with the thought process um, that I would try to do everything with as much positive reinforcement and force-free as I could, and then when I reached that point where the positive reinforcement failed me or the force-free wasn't working anymore then I would like sort of compromise there. So I do whatever was possible. And what I found was that it is all possible. (laughs) I literally have yet to reach that point where I can't use positive reinforcement and force free to solve a problem, Um, which I I thought that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that that is amazing. I mean, it's it's kind of, it's uncharted territory and we're trailblazing right now. And so you never really know. I mean, you can make all the assumptions in the world that like, or you can, you know, look at the science and be like, this should be possible. But until yeah. you get out there and actually, like, do it, exactly. sometimes you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um. So from the horse perspective, my main thought in terms of lesson horses is my first thought was let's start with rescues. Um, because at least then, even if the horse isn't as happy as they could be, um, we're taking them from a really bad situation and making it way better. So yeah. we're at least moving in the yeah. right direction. Let's start there. Um. And then once I started doing that, um, I would, the way my program works, typically they get like three to six months of downtime, depending on the horse. It could be a year or two. It could be a month. It just depends. Mm -hmm. Um, And once they've had their downtime, then we really focus on getting them healthy and learning life skills, like how to be handled, how to have the farrier look after them, vet care, um, all sorts of like cooperative and voluntary care things. Um, And then once they get that done, we go into what I call career training. So that depends on the equine. Um, I like that term, (laughs) career training. (laughs) So what I teach the 16-2 off-the-track thoroughbred um, is going to be totally different than what I teach the like 12-hand donkey that I got from the auction house. for sure. So so I start looking at like what they enjoy based on their personality, based on um, like what really suits them naturally. Like if a horse is naturally really like four and sensitive and all of that, I'm not going to try to teach them to be a little kid's pony yeah, horse. For sure. Um, versus some of the horses that are like pretty calm and relaxed and don't tend to want to move a lo- around a lot. I think 
there's a term you use for that, the energy. Uh, energy conservers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, those kind of horses would be great for like a kid's like pony them around and yeah, beginner lessons and sure. stuff like that. I'm not going to try and make that one into the jumper. Um, Good plan. So, yeah. <laughs> Probably won't go very well. <laughs> exactly. And that makes my job a lot easier if I play into the horse's strengths and stop trying to fit them into boxes and like force them into a box that they don't really fit into. Um, On that note, do you find that those boxes have to modify over time. Like yes, that sometimes yeah. you'll think it's one box and then yeah. like six months later, <laughs> like, well, maybe it's a different box. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I think that a lot of that um, really comes to light as all of their like wellness needs are being yeah, met, true. which is where the down t- uh, downtime comes in handy. Um, so giving them lots of downtime, letting them rest and get healthy and happy first, um, mm-hmm. you will have a totally different horse yeah. after that than you did at the beginning when they were first rescued. Yeah, I find a lot of my horses just in the time they're with me, like they're very different from when they first arrived yeah. from later. And it's not this huge, like you look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, it's a different horse. It's just the little things about their personality, yeah. little things about the way they respond to things change. Yeah. And there's still that, like you said, the genetic like type, like I, my energy yeah. conservers are pretty much always energy conservers. Yes. Now I have been able to like pumpkins, a really good example of this. She started off as like a hardcore energy conserver. Like yeah. you couldn't get a walk, right? Yeah. She's just like, nope, I stand right here. I yeah. don't move. And now if I'm on the ground with her, I mean, we're running, playing, bucking, like yeah. all stuff. But at the end of the day, she's like, if I watch her out in the pasture, she's still an energy yeah. conserver. She doesn't. Yeah bolt to the fence when she sees me. I mean, she walks slowly. So, (laughs) I mean, she's still an energy conserver, but I can get sprints and like random moments of playing. And, um, so yeah, yeah, like it molds over time, but there's also still like at a core, like who they kind of are. Exactly. Yeah. And you can see a lot of that out in the field. That's something that, um, that I do a lot because I enjoy it is I just sit and watch my horses Mm -hmm. out in the field. And I do find that when the rescues come in, I can learn a lot about them before I ever start training them. Like rather than walking out and just starting a training session and expecting all this stuff from them, I watch them and see what they do naturally in their day to day. How do they move? How do they respond to things? So they've been rehabilitated for the most part. They're retrained with all their life skills and the foundation they need to just exist and be a horse in captivity. Um, And then we start the career training and it helps if we fit them um, to what their natural strengths are. So some horses are always going to be really great at standing around and being groomed. Mm -hmm. Um, And those horses are going to be beginner lesson horses. Some of them are really, really willing to be ridden and will stand at the mounting block all day long if you want them to. That's great for people that have fear issues or overcoming things. Some horses um, are really great at like walk, trot, canter, going over fences, like the really high energy stuff. Which is also great, and that's so something I need. What you're saying is, we need to collect horses. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah we you need just need all the all horses. horses. <laughs> um, but I do think that that's important: is trying to maintain that balance and like variety. And instead of trying to fit one horse into all these different boxes, I'm not going to expect my high energy thoroughbreds to stand around for beginner grooming lessons or stand at the mounting block all day long, um, or stuff like that. And I'm also not going to expect like the older draft horses to be flying over jumps and doing walk track canter in an advanced lesson so um yeah I think that really helps like playing to the horse's strengths um and the other thing is just maintaining that force-free attitude so I'm really big on consent cues like all my horses have distinct ways of saying no um all of my kids understand the importance of that um I've been really really impressed with how great all the kids are do you teach your horses a specific stop or 
you know, no cue that, or is it individual to each of them? So a little bit, yes. Okay. Um, I teach, and this is something that it's a little bit, yes. And I think if you ask me a year or two down the road, it will be an absolute yes. Okay. I would like all of them to have a very distinct, easy cue that says, hey, back away from me now, please. All the same um, one or individual to them? I think in, a, in an ideal world, it would all be the same yeah. one just for safety purposes and easy it teaching easy on, kids. Yeah, yeah, easy on the rider and the kids. Um, that said, um, as of right now, it depends on the horse. And mm-hmm. I think it will always, to some extent, depend on the horse. Sure. But we talk a lot about like calming signals and horse body language. Um, and then most of my horses, it is a distinct head away movement. So okay. they will move their head away almost like they're touching their nose to their opposite shoulder, hmm. um, but not... Not all of them stretch that far. That also depends on the horse and how flexible they are. Um, But it is fairly distinctive once you learn to recognize it. And the rule with my kids is if they get any hint of a sign that the horse does not want them near them, you take two big steps backwards. Nice. And you pause. And you take, some of the kids have to take a breath. Some of them are naturally better at pausing than others. (laughs) Um, And then once they've done that, they are allowed to reapproach once and ask nicely. Um, And they know how to ask. If you're brushing, then you just hold the brush up like you're going to brush. And if the horse stands calmly and is relaxed, you can proceed with brushing as long as you're cautious and paying attention to the fact that they just gave you a no signal, so something might be going on. Mm -hmm. If they say no again, then you take two big steps back. And you leave and come get me. (laughs) And sometimes I'm standing right there. It depends on the lesson. Mm Because sometimes I'm right there the whole time and I can talk them through it. Sometimes if they've been riding with me for a year or so, they might be grooming and tacking on their own, even warming up on their own. Um, So I'm not always like right there with them. But if that happens, they need to come get me so that we can approach that specific situation really carefully. Um, I'm not going to expect my kids to know every reason in the world that a horse might be sore in a particular space or unhappy or uncomfortable. Well, um, I mean, that's what our job is. As exactly. The instructor and the <laughs> yeah. coach or whatever. I mean, we're yeah. the ones who've been doing this forever. Your exactly. kids, even if they've been riding for a year or two, yeah. are not going to know all these things. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's as simple as the kid is putting the saddle pad on inside out. Oh. I have sheepskin dressage pads with fu- like fuzzy fluffies yeah. on them. And, and horses know. <laughs> sometimes they go to put it on upside down or like sort of inside out um, with the sheepskin facing out. And the horse is like, hey, this no, is wrong. <laughs> that's incorrect. Um, the it's horse uncomfortable. Knows more than yeah. we do. And so I come in and I'm like, okay, well, let's let's take a look at that and we fix it. Sometimes um, they're putting the girth on backwards. Like I have anatomical shaped girths yeah. and they're putting on backwards and it's digging into their elbow. Like sometimes it's easy stuff like that where it's rider error. Yeah. Yeah. In which case we fix it. And mm-hmm. instead of the horse being uncomfortable and like in a bad situation and just having to deal with it, the horse is able to communicate and then the student learns from that and gets which, better at what they're doing. As we talked about before we started recording, leads to them being overall more willing to do these lessons. Yes. And they're exactly. not something they're just trapped into doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because they know they can say no when exactly. it's not right and they can yeah. communicate and it becomes, and it's really good to imagine for the kids to like, I would imagine this would be extremely helpful and healthy for them to learn for their everyday interactions with everybody else too. I mean, human, other human to human interactions. I mean, it teaches them mutual respect for the people they're talking to, respecting a no from another kid, another adult. Um, It's good communication skills and good 
relationship skills, I should yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, another thing we do, if there isn't anything obvious that's making me think it's a rider error or handler error problem, um, is then we walk through the key needs of the horse. So I have a chart hanging up in my barn that I've made that outlines the six key needs um, that are like the wellness needs. I think I saw that the other day. It was you pretty cool. Have, yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have a few charts hanging up in the barn, but one of them is key needs of the horse. And we go through those wellness needs and we make sure that all of them are met. Um, and we are like, we are human. We live in an imperfect world. So sometimes some of them won't be met and it's stuff out of our control. Like maybe the horse is upset because it's buddy just left to go to their new home. Well, I can't just keep the buddy around forever yeah. to make them happy. Like sometimes we have to do things that are going to upset the horse. Um, maybe they have some body pain somewhere something like that. And we can work through that and figure that out. Sometimes the horse will say no. And we can't do anything that day. Yeah. Um, and that does happen. And that's the big question I get a lot. Well, if your horse can say no, well, then how are you ever going to teach lessons? You do know? you ever switch over to working with a different horse? Or do you just say, we're not doing it for... It depends on the kid and it okay. depends on the day. Um, so usually I give the kid a lot of control over the situation. So I don't... I try not to make decisions for them. I try to let them like guide their own horse journey mm -hmm. and I'm there to like help them yeah. ensure everything is safe and they're effective with everything and yeah. everything goes well. Um, so for instance, like a, two specific examples come to mind. Um, one time I brought a horse up and he didn't want to pick up his hoof mm. and she asked a couple of times and he just wasn't doing it. Like he wasn't upset. He just wasn't lifting up. Yeah. He was eating his hay and did not care. Um, <laughs> Not so, today. yeah. And, and so finally she came to get me and I was like, okay, let me see if I can help. And I went to do it and same thing. And then on the second time that I asked, um, he just sort of pinned his ears and lifted his head up a bit. Mm -hmm. Wasn't a distinct no cue, but it was enough that I was like, oh, you, and that's really unusual for this horse. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I went around to the other side and picked up the other hoof, which, um, I realized he was sort of leaning off of that hoof and he had a big abscess on the other side. Oh. So if he had lifted the hoof, I asked, he, he would have been putting all, all the weight on that in, or mm -hmm. not injured, but like, yeah. um, abscess foot. yeah, the upset foot. <laughs> um, so the student got to learn a lot about like abscesses. She learned how to spot it. She got to feel the distal pulse, like stuff oh, like cool. that. Cool. So got a little bit of education there. And then I told her, I was like, okay, so do you want to do a clicker training groundwork lesson? Because mm -hmm. um, you can still hang out with your horse while yeah. they have an abscess. An abscess. In fact, like movement is really good for them. And yeah. so um, we could like take them into the arena. We can walk them around. We can do liberty games. Like, or we can put them outside and go get one of the other horses to ride. It's totally up to you. Um, and in that situation, the kid said, no, I want to hang out with Bug. Oh, Let's cool. go do a groundwork nice. lesson, um, which is usually what happens if we can't ride for some reason. They almost always want to stick with their horse. They, oh, yeah, nice. They're very they loyal. Rather, <laughs> yeah. Rather get the time with their horse than the time riding. Yeah, that's cool. Um, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, another time, like a horse had um, a really bad muscle knot in his back. Mm. It's an older horse that has some body issues. And he had just switched past and he was in with a couple very pretty mares and he got really excited about that and ran all over the place and his back was just so tight and I was like okay you need some massage and body work before we ride you were like he was doing okay but he was saying no to the saddle every time she would lift it up to put it on he would say no um and she did like the two tries and then came and got me showed me what he was doing and I was like okay that's very good Clear. eye because he yeah. was being so distinct with it and I felt along his back and I was like okay you need some help um, and I offered her and in that situation, she did want to ride. So we went and got, got a different, a different horse. horse and we brought him in and we rode him instead. Cool. Um, so building from there, um, how do you feel 
the actual writing aspect goes? Like, are you, do you feel like you're able to be really effective with teaching them like equitation and writing skills and all of that? And how much time are you able to spend on the riding stuff versus like the horsemanship stuff? Yeah. So I think it's really important to like recognize that being an equestrian is more than just riding skills. Um, like you can go to a lesson school and you can learn how to ride and you can learn the equitation and that aspect of things. But if you're wanting to really get involved in equestrianism and be an equestrian and be an equestrian and own horses, it's so much more than that. And so, um, I do like, I offer two hour lessons, which is different than a lot of lesson schools. Most of the time it's one hour because it's just centered on that hour of riding. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like it to be a little more well-rounded than that. So they do have lots of time to get, um, a whole experience with their horse. it's just like, if you owned a horse and you came out to the barn you get them from the field, you take care of them, you check in with them, um, and then you tack them up, groom, warm mm-hmm. them up, ride, cool them off, put their tack away, clean things as needed. And maybe you have to hose your horse off in the summer in the summertime. Maybe you have to um, like put a cooler on and hang out with them in the wintertime. Um, put the horse away, fill out a training log, think about your training plans. Like there's so much that the kids do that is what we would be doing as horse owners. Um, So they do get like that full experience more so than just the riding aspect. That said, they do get the riding aspect too. (laughs) Um, And that's something I get a lot of questions about too. Um, A lot of my inspiration for my riding program comes from my traditional background. Um, I did a lot of stuff in my traditional background, but a big part of it was classical dressage. Mm-hmm. So I'm huge on like equitation and being, um, uh, there's a phrase, oh, I wish I knew who it was by, but I've heard it said by a lot of people where like a beginner is someone that the horse will perform in spite of them. So okay. your weight on their back, you're in their way, but they're doing stuff in spite of you. Yeah. Um, and then once you're an intermediate rider, the horse is able to perform with you, okay. um, like on the same level they would be able to without you, but um, you're no yeah. longer in their way. And then an advanced rider actually helps the horse to perform at a higher level. Okay. Um, so you help the horse to balance themselves better and set them up better and they can actually perform at a higher level than they could on their own. thanks to you being there with them. Um, And that's sort of my goal when it comes to equitation and whatnot. So um, typically my program starts with them learning how to line the horse up at the mounting block and get on the saddle. Uh, We practice with a fake saddle on a fake horse because I want them to get the balance aspect down. I'm really, really protective of my horse's spines. (laughs) Um, Working in rescue, like so, so much kissing spines. Um, there's yeah. just a huge problem with that. It's like um, a big, big issue with the kissing spines yeah. and just weak oh, yeah. top lines and riding horses yeah. that are not balanced or physically prepared at all yes. for what they're being asked to do. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, like we're going to learn how to line them up. We're going to learn how to get on and then you're going to sit there. And at first I lead you around. Um, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's kind of boring, but it usually only lasts a lesson or two. So they live. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So first lesson or two, we're going to walk around on the lead line and you're going to get your balance. I have a lot of exercises. Um, I have a few traditional riders that are friends of mine that still try to sneak in lessons because they love my equitation oh, exercises. Cool. Um, and like how well, and like, I don't know, I'm big on being effective. And I find that these exercises are really effective at getting people balanced in the saddle. So you learn how to sit there nicely and how to ride along with them. And once you're comfortable there, 
where I learned how to click and treat from the saddle. Um, and that's the first thing you do where you're actually interacting with the horse and you're not just a passenger. Do so, you, real quick to interrupt, yeah. do you, is this the very beginning or is this after they've done some horseman, horse, horsemanship, horse, <laughs> horsemanship lessons on the ground first? Um, so they have to do the on the ground stuff first. Okay. My rule is as soon as you can do all of the prep work, you can get on the horse. Okay. So you have to be able to... Um, you don't necessarily have to catch them in the field because I do have strict rules about people going out into the fields with especially the bigger herds of horses. Yeah. Um, but you need to be able to get your horse, halter them, lead them into the barn, groom them, tack them, bring them into the arena, and you have to demonstrate getting on and off of the fake horse three times okay. um, in a row. So to show me that you can do it in a balanced manner, okay. um, you're not going to be struggling up onto my horse's spine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so once you can do that, you can get on the horse. Um, it depends on the kid how much time that is. I have yeah. a few that might take up to like even four or five lessons, but I found for the most part, it's one to two lessons before they're riding. Okay, so they're that's on fast. the ground. It's a lot yeah. faster than I expected it to be. Yeah. Must be a very effective trainer. <laughs> well, thank you. I try. <laughs> um, Are they yeah, doing it's... all of like the clicking and the food and all of that during this time? Yes. Okay. Yep. So um, the very first lesson, I do have my first like probably first five to ten lessons are almost always the same. Um, with okay, a lot of it is specialized to the particular yeah. kid, but the content is yes. the same. Yeah. Um, so very first lesson, the first like thirty minutes to an hour. We look at all of the charts that I have hanging on the wall. Okay. We learn um, the and key this is needs. five to ten lessons of two hours, right? Yeah, two okay. hours each. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the charts I have on the wall, um, I have one that goes over the ABCs, antecedent behavior consequence. And cool. we talk about interactions with horses and what that structure means. Um, then I have one for operant conditioning that mm. goes over the different types of consequence yeah. and how we can shape behaviors. Um, I really want to make one about different types of antecedents and arrangement, but I haven't been able to... Like concisely, yeah, it's a lot. yeah, it is a lot, yeah. But that one, I have like a half finished draft that I'm still working on piecing together. Um, so we go over consequences. Um, then we go over the humane hierarchy and Lima. Okay. Um, and when we do humane hierarchy, we talk about wellness and we briefly go over the key needs of the horse. Okay, um, that's typically where I skip a little bit because I could go on about that for the first 10 lessons and yeah. still have more to talk about it. So we just briefly go over them and then I let them learn that as they go, mm -hmm. as their horses demonstrate the needs mm -hmm. and whatnot. Once we go over Lima and humane hierarchy, um, then we're going to go ahead and go over what I call the EIEIOs, okay. um, which is my acronym for um, what good training is. Okay. Um, and I, I could go off on that for a little while, but I will let you yeah, go you look at my page to yeah, go over this. You don't have to give away um, your whole program, <laughs> although I'm super interested. <laughs> um, so we go over the EIEIOs, which is just, um, I like to evaluate my training with it. Um, and I evaluate other trainers with it too. And it's a way of just going over like why certain methods are good and bad um, okay. in a really comprehensive way. Um, like a hint, one of the E's is ethical, but that's only one of the E's. <laughs> ethical is a part. It's not the whole thing. I'm trying to think of like the um, other E's, like effective. Effective okay. is one of the other E's. Um... <laughs> but okay, well, you can, you can well, go look okay. on my yeah, page yeah, yeah. and it's all on there <laughs> okay. and I've made posts about it before. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we go over that. Um, once they have all of that, that's most of the background that they need training-wise and theory-wise. Um, and I find it's easier to just get that out of the way in the very beginning mm -hmm. and spend a whole like 30 minutes to an hour on it rather than having to pause yeah. while we go along to go over those things um do you find there are like big eyes glaze over at some point at all oddly enough not no? really they do okay. <laughs> yeah right. um I the adults like... are super into it the adults take like 
almost the full two hours just going over it because okay, they cool. love that, like the adult amateur writers. But the, I mean, I'm an adult yeah. professional writer and I would right, be yeah. super interested <laughs> in that. I'm like, all right, uh, talk me through it. And then um, the kids also do really well. Um, I think I love kids and mm-hmm. like I talk in funny voices and like baby talk my horses. So like I think that I keep them engaged pretty well. well and I've seen your charts um, too. So they're very they're engaging and colorful. <laughs> yeah. Even your tack room is colorful. It's a rainbow. It's yeah. Rainbow. Yeah. I, each horse has their own color. See, I'm way too like serious and like black and white and like everything is yep. boring. And so I could be, see being more engaged in your type of learning environment. And this That's is why awesome. it's so important to have like, yeah. you, you're setting like up your school. antecedents for your kids. There we go. Yeah. Mine is not ideal yeah. antecedents for kids one day, but yours is yeah. way better. There we go. And I think it's important too, like in an ideal world, we would have like trainers like you that have your situation, like your, like everything about you is really important to how you train and everything about me is really important how I train. And unfortunately with positive reinforcement, there are just so few of us that we all get lumped together. But the reality is like, there are trainers that baby talk their horses and are goofy and make funny voices while they're training and stuff. And that's me. And then there are trainers that are more serious about things. And I get students sometimes that are like, oh my goodness, can you please stop using the word voices? I'm like, like, but they're so cute. They need need it. I mean, I baby talk my horses sometimes. I'm funny because I baby talk my horses, but not my kids. Oh, yeah. Or anything else. It's just my horses. I'm like, you're just so cute. They're just so cute. They need it. But in my lesson programs, I'm very I can be very serious yes. and very dry and I'm like all right yeah. I need to like yeah. but some people that's really beneficial yeah. like there are people that like that and so I would love to see more and more lesson programs opening up so that people have more choice of yeah. like who they click with yeah for sure. um and like my coaching style like I do not ever like yell at my students unless if there's like a safety or something and I just need to get their attention really quickly but like I can't it'd be a little I can't counterintuitive <laughs> if that's the right word right. for us to be like all r plus about the horse training and then <laughs> right. yelling at the kids yeah <laughs> But some people I know work better with, like, a little more structure, like, rigid. Like, they want me to just, like, tell them what to be doing. And but I just can't do it. there's a difference between telling somebody, like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is how we're yeah. doing it. And, like, yeah. yelling at them. Yes, I agree. I mean, I grew up being yelled at. So Same. <laughs> I, I, I probably yeah. fell too much to the opposite side trying to counter that, you know, because, like, yeah. my response to, like, growing up being yelled at as a student and being afraid to ask questions yeah. or anything yeah. is now like like super nice yeah. and unstructured yeah <laughs> and and that's how I kind of started off and I've come back to more of a centered like okay we need more structure we need to yeah. have I need to actually have like shaping plans yeah. for my students yes yeah and the process the learning process that I need that I want them to go down and because yeah. there's not just the horse as a learner now, there's the student as the learner yeah. and as the coach for both of them. Like I need yes. to have the shaping plan for the horse and the shaping plan for the student. Yes. And um, that's something that's been very much on my mind as I'm teaching people. Like, what is it that the goal is? Because otherwise I just kind yeah. of flounder around. I'm just yeah. like, well, today we're going to do like targeting <laughs> yeah. and today yeah. we'll sign up at the mounting block. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this yeah. is not helping anybody. Yeah. <laughs> the horse yeah. is confused. I'm not being very effective and the student is like, okay, we're not making any progress here. Um, One thing, so another EIEIO concept, one of the I's is intuitive. Um, And I want the training to be intuitive to the horse. And the way I explain that to the kids is if you have the option to do something um, that will make your job easier as the human, but it's going to be harder on the horse, or you could do something else that makes the horse's job easier, but it's a little harder on you. You have to choose the one that's harder on you. You always have to make it easier on the horse. Um, 
And it's hard as an instructor. I want to make things easy on the kids. Mm -hmm. But I definitely reached a point where at first I was trying to like perfectly arrange everything for the kids. And at some point I was like, you know what? You're humans. You have little brains and you can think for yourself. It's going to be hard on you and it's going to be nice on the horse. And they did fine with it. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard, but sometimes you have to step back and like give the human that responsibility and just say, you know what? Life isn't perfect for you. I'm not going to be able to make things perfect for you, Mm -hmm. but you can learn in spite of that because you're human and you're way more adaptable. (laughs) Well, we're adaptable, but also we have something as like from coach to to students, we have something that we can't do with the horses, which Mm -hmm. is I can sit that student down and be like, okay, this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I can verbally communicate to them that something is about to, you know, whatever, this is going to be a little bit hard, but we're going to have to work through it. Yeah. I can't do that with my horses. Yes. Unfortunately. Exactly. I wish, I wish I could, as I'm loading (laughs) them up into the trailer, be like, okay, River, this is going to be a little bit not fun, but you're going to have to trust me. You're going to feel better afterwards, you know, all that. And we just can't do that. So I think that's a huge, yeah difference yeah, there. Yeah. I think the other thing that really helps is um just practice. Like mm-hmm. the more I get to know my program and get to know things, um I'm better at like thin slices for people. Yeah. Like some people can jump from one point to another really well mm-hmm. and some people need every single step of the way. Same with horses. Um exactly. No and so yeah. And like I have some kids that will spend an entire lesson, um not an entire 2 hours, yeah. but the entire riding portion of their 2 hours practicing picking up their reins click, put the reins in one hand, give the treat. That's a lot of work. Pick the reins back up. Whole lesson. I have other kids and I'm like, all right, and you're going to feed him the cookie. And before I get done, because they're excited, they just go to feed him and they do it perfectly on the first try. (laughs) I have kids that I say, okay, so we're going to post the trot, right? And Mm -hmm. I start, I... Oh God, that was the bane of my existence as a child. Like the trot, the posting the trot, I could not figure it out. And then I get yelled at for being on the wrong diagonal. I'm like, how am I supposed to know? I can't even get (laughs) my butt out of the saddle. Yeah, you're like, I'm still on up down. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So um, I found like there are lots of tricks, correct stirrup length, making sure the saddle fits the rider decently, making sure um, and obviously has to fit the horse too. So that's where like um, there there are obstacles to overcome. But there's lots of stuff you can do to help. Trotting is easiest to learn on a straightaway. So I have the horse do a straight line trot. All of my horses, if I take them in the arena and I have two buckets of feet on either side, I do bucket targets a lot. I find they're really useful. I can, they will stand with me. And then if I say go bucket, they will go to the bucket. If I say up, they will lift their head up. I can call them back to me. So they're really good with their bucket manners. Cool. So during a lesson, I can have the kids send them to a bucket, up, send them to the next bucket. I, even I can just from the middle of the arena go trot, trot, and the horse will start trotting and like trot calmly to that other bucket. So is that how you transition them from that leading them around to more independent riding? Yes. You have yeah. things on verbal cues and targets and such. And so yes, you're able yeah. to guide them from a distance without being hands-on right there. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of it starts with me and transitions to the student. One thing that helps me too is I explain to the kid that it's confusing for the horse because they've been listening to me this whole time and totally ignoring what the kid is doing. When we're doing our leg exercises Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, they're ignoring the rider. Mm -hmm. And then at some point we switch and they're going to start listening to you. And so I I always tell them, give the horse a break for the first few, they'll figure it out. And they give the horse a break for the first few and the horse looks at me and then listens to them and then looks at me and listens to them. (laughs) And then eventually it's like, oh, kid's giving me treats now. (laughs) Steph who? Um, (laughs) And then they move on and they're great for the kids. Um, So having really well-trained horses, like obviously that helps. That's huge. Um, And that's part of the career training, right? Exactly. Yep. And so, um, yeah. And so like when we're learning to post the trot, like the horse knows how to do a straight line trot. We could also use the reverse round pin for that. Um, However, the circle Circle, is just harder to 
learn trot on from the rider perspective. Mm -hmm. Even Um, for horses. I like to do the straight lines for, especially the canter. I like to use the straight line for that. Yeah, for sure. They tend to get off balance and like just wonky all over the place. (laughs) Exactly. And then it's harder for the rider to be figuring out how to sit. (laughs) Um, But I always like, my first step is they're going to learn how to ride it and just not be in the horse's way. Mm -hmm. Once they can do that, then they get to start cueing the horse themselves and doing the cues on their own and the steering and all that aspect. It's almost like having them on the lunge line. Yes. But yeah, very there's not really a lunge line. This it, yeah. The lunge line is your verbal cues. And exactly. Yeah. Whatever cues you're giving them. Um, <laughs> of and course. Probably do you use like um, a protective contact at all? Like you set up like a line or they just know to go from bucket to bucket? So in the beginning, and it depends on the horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the key here is that I'm a professional. I've done this a long time. Yeah. So if one of my students is teaching their horse to do vocal cues, high energy, they have to be in protective contact. Yeah. Um, I want to see that you can do the behavior nicely in protective contact reliably without the horse getting too excited or having any potential potentially dangerous behavior. As long as I see that, then we can take protective yeah. contact away. Um, that said, with me, sometimes, yeah. because I'm a professional and I'm a bit of a cowgirl at heart, sometimes <laughs> I just go out there and do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so my horses are typically pretty good, but some of them I will start in protective contact. If I see, like, any hint of um, that they are going to get overexcited or if there's any hint of, like, a conflict, because um, sometimes they really want to... Like, they really want to engage, they want to play, they want to do the game, but at the same time, there's something preventing them. Maybe Mm -hmm. they have body issues, maybe it's poison cues, like, whatever. And if I see any hint of that, I will, especially if it's conflict, I'll usually reevaluate and step back training-wise. But even if I think there could be a possibility of conflict... There's a barrier there. There's protective contact. Is this contact. when the students are on the horses too? No. Just during the training before, process? Yeah. Okay, cool. If, they're, if I'm going to let a horse, um, if I'm going to let a student learn to trot on the horse, the horse is going to be at a level of training where I can be in full contact with them doing okay. walk trot. Cool. Same with canter, same with anything like that. Yeah. Um, so that's where like me training them beforehand yeah. helps. And sometimes the students help with the training. Oh, um, cool. I recently started the clicker show, um, which yeah. is a project that I've had underway for a while. Um, and right now I've just opened the groundwork division to my own students. And I am happy to do informal entries if people want to be participating. Um, just because I, I want people to participate. Yeah, yeah. I just don't have the time or energy to make it really nice and formal yes. yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a lot of work. So um, yeah. And the whole idea was to get the kids teaching these foundational behaviors. They're easy enough to teach. I've taught them to so many horses at this point that I have a pretty decent system for teaching them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I needed to motivate the kids. Some of the kids will do it nicely. I already had some kids that spend a lot of their lessons on groundwork just because that's what they want to do. I have a few that um, they come from traditional training uh, backgrounds and are working through fear. Mm. And one of my big things with fear is um, you have to beg to move on before you can move on. Okay. So if you just... You're, if you're at a place where you're like, well, I could ride or I want. Yeah, then you're not I guess ready. I want, no, you need to be begging me to get in that saddle before I'm going to let you start mounting. And even then, you're going to get on and off probably like 20 times until you're begging me to let you take a step forward. And then That's you can really take cool. a step forward. Um, and you have to you have to really want it. There's mm-hmm. no point in being up on that horse if you don't really want to be there. Yeah. Um, so in the meantime, we do groundwork and we do all the stuff that gets you excited about riding yeah. again um, and lots of other stuff. That's yeah, not yeah. the only key, but it's one of them. But adding that little bit of a competitive part yeah. to it or, or not even competitive, but just like, yeah, yeah. Just, just having a goal, like, yeah. right, a tangible exterior reinforcer. Yeah, exactly. Um, for all their hard work. Yep. And it's be... very structured. Like there are divisions and um, there are classes in each division that build on each other um, cool. and you have to do certain ones in order to get to the other ones and stuff like that. So. 
a few kids have said it's almost like a video game because that's the <laughs> that's the time period we live in. <laughs> okay. That they're earning like their like levels and oh they get gosh. like little, little badges for completing them. <laughs> that's the ribbon. So We're like, comparing it to video you know, games. Now. Yeah. That's I'm like, funny. whatever works for you guys. Whatever gets you guys teaching the horses and being great to the horses, oh, I'm happy man. with. Um, but it's nice because now I've got hor- I've got kids that are teaching the horses how to do all of these foundational behaviors. They're teaching them stationary targeting, dynamic nose targeting, like with target sticks. Um, they're teaching them to do straight line protective contact work, reverse round pin work, um, stationing at mats, balance targets, um, face targets, body targets, cool. like all this stuff. Yeah. And it's the kids doing it and they're motivated to do it because they're getting ribbons and they're all competitive about the ribbons and they want the ribbons. Um, and it's just, and it's like a video game. It's fun, right? Yeah. And so um, that has the, definitely helped. Yeah. And on the other side, your horses are getting good training. Yes. And- yeah. For your rescue horses, because you use a lot of rescue horses for this program, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah that's the they're primary getting, thing that I use. <laughs> they're getting um, that good, that association creating, like that positive yeah. association with people and not just you, lots of people. Yes. Um, yeah. Kids, adults, everything. Because that's one thing I've run into when it's just me working yeah. with horses. They create that positive association with me. Yes. But then as soon as somebody else comes around, they're like, that's that's a different human. Yes. Like, I don't exactly. trust that yeah. human. I trust yeah. this human, but not that human. Yeah. yeah. And it's that, like, specialization versus generalization. Like, especially if the rescue horse has any background with humans, then they have – maybe they've met – like a hundred people in their lifetime that have used traditional training methods that the horse didn't necessarily appreciate. Um, and then they have me one person. Mm -hmm. So are they going to think now that they've seen me and had this interaction with me, they're not going to think all people are like that. They're just going to think I'm like that. Yeah. But once they have, yeah, once some time has passed and the old associations have faded and now they have 20 lesson kids and me, Mm-hmm. they're like, okay, maybe people are good. Maybe that old experience was the isolated thing that mm-hmm. was different. And this is now, now the okay. world is different. And their perspective tends yeah. to kind of change. And you see that reflected in their behavior and their attitude. So one question I wanted to go back to really quick. In the beginning, you said that you thought horses were happiest with one person. They're yes. one human. But you think that they can be, you wanted them to, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but they were (laughs) like, they can be happier in lesson programs. They are plus focused on lesson program. Yeah. But what makes you say, like, what are the, how do you define that? Like, how would you explain that? Or why do you feel that way? I guess I should say. Yeah. So, um, so I started out, my thought was, and I think I said this earlier that I'm going to start with rescue horses because again, like I was starting from square one, like blank slate. I didn't know how this was going to go, but I was like, let's start with some rescue horses. So then at least... It's better. Um, it's better. I'm yeah. improving their situation. Yeah. Um, and then once I started doing it, I was ending up with these rescue horses that are now really nicely retrained, generalized to a lot of people, very, like, very great horses. And at the same time, I was seeing them get bonded to one particular lesson student that's mm. out the most or that they enjoy the most for whatever reason. Um, or I was seeing, like, my horses that have owners and have, like, that single human that is all theirs or even a family that's all theirs. And I just noticed that there is a level of difference. Like, even though my horses are happy, they would be happier. They would be happiest with one person or a family. Um, Do you think that comes from maybe clarity? I find that my horses, uh, they... They struggle even if with me if I'm not clear, but <laughs> yeah, but um, like consistency, consistency, yeah. and because of the consistency, the access to the reinforcement is more predictable and yes. it's clear. It's a clear path towards that reinforcement. Yes. And horses, I think, 
especially horses. I've worked <laughs> with other species, and I haven't worked with all yeah. the species, but I would say, <laughs> at least compared to dogs, yeah, and maybe cats too, I don't know. But I feel like horses are really, really hook on to, like, clarity and consistency. Yeah. Like, they yes. are very much like, okay, I need this to be ultra yeah. predictable. Yeah. Ultra predictable. Yeah. And so maybe that's where the happiest part comes from. If yes, they can work with yeah. somebody who they can figure out, the person yeah. can figure them out. Yes. And it's just like this communication that flows really nicely. It's really clear. It's really consistent yeah. versus there's just natural variability yes. with working with lots of different people. Yeah. Um, I do even think people trained by the same programs. I yeah. Mean, they're just different. Exactly. Yeah. And everybody going back to that idea that everybody gets along best with different types of horses. That's like the horse just might not like that person as much. <laughs> That's fine. Like we all get along better with some people than other. The horses yeah. have the same thing. Um, and I think that the consistency and the clarity are really important. Um, I think that's a good point with different species. I do think like it does vary some, um, birds are that way. Birds were like my jam there for a while when I was doing behavioral neuroscience stuff. I love birds. Um, and they are the same way. Like they latch on to that consistency and clarity. They're like, I want to know what's going on. That person doesn't understand my communication. So I don't want anything to do with them. (laughs) Um, and I think horses can be very similar to that. I think birds are probably more of an extreme. Okay. um, Like I said, I want. Yeah. I've not worked with all the species. But, no, just... that's okay. I haven't either. Maybe one day. <laughs> I think it'd be hard to work with all of all them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they're happiest there. And so that's where the idea came, or I guess it sort of shaped itself, the whole concept of I get the horses, we rehabilitate, we retrain, we start them in the lesson program. And then once they reach a level where I think that they have a baseline of training where really it comes down to, could they go into a home? Like, is there a home out there that could take them and it would be successful? Um, and usually I start, I list them, I use just like different marketing things and I post that they're available for adoption um, and some information about them and I see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if a great home doesn't come along, then they stay in the program and they mm-hmm. stay in this really happy, great place and they keep progressing in their training. And then one day we find that person, we find that home and they get to move on. Yeah. And um, and as much as like it's bittersweet because yeah. I get really attached to them, my students get really attached yeah. to them. It's always lovely when one of my students ends up being that home. Yeah. That's happened several times and it's wonderful because then I get to stay in touch with yeah. them. Um, the horse has less of a transition, all that. But it's at the end of the day, like it's happiest when you get to see them go yeah. into that new home. And that opens up a spot for, for a new rescue to yeah. come in. Um, and so... I found that that's really good. Um, It's a really good balance with lesson horses. I would love to see, like, even if we step away from the positive reinforcement stuff and just look at lesson programs as a whole, I would love to see it as more of a temporary place for horses to be rather than getting these horses in and expecting them to be lesson horses the rest of their life, which rarely ever works. I find the horses get really sour Mm -hmm. um, and even the ones that... Like, I know lesson programs have had horses long, long times. I've worked in those lesson programs, but I have rarely if ever um seen a horse that is truly happy and comfortable and doesn't require like excessive force to yeah. comply yeah, um I would agree. and so and I have found like my horses are very willing but even then there there reaches a point where they would be more successful with an individual yeah like maybe this horse has the potential to do low level jumping I'm not gonna make him do that in the lesson program though mm-hmm. because um there reaches a point where like we're doing more wear and tear on their bodies that mm-hmm. needs specific care and like specialized programs that I can't specialize that much when I have a variety of kids on them. 
um, you have a horse that um, maybe just, like you said, like that clarity and consistency, mm-hmm. like they can't get to that point when there are five different people training them mm-hmm. every week or 10 different people training yeah. them every week. Um, so they will, I find they reach higher potential once they go into like a single family or single person home. Um, and that way it's, so it's better for the horse. They're not a lesson horse for their entire life, but it's also, it's almost a better thing for the horse because then they get to generalize to lots of people. We get to see who they get along with because yeah. sometimes you get a horse and then you don't get along with them and yeah. it happens, but it will help with like matching horse and rider pairs, which yeah. is really important to long-term homes too. I yeah. know like we've talked about that. So I'm like, people need to keep their horses. Like yeah. that's very important. Um, that said, when somebody gets a horse, it's not a good match for them. It creates this really awful situation where it's like, okay, do the horse and human stay together in this like toxic relationship yeah, where they yeah. don't get along um, and they're not a good fit for each other? Or do they move the horse along? Well, we don't necessarily want to just move the horse along every time because we have so many horses in need of good homes. Yeah, but at the same risk. time, like, yeah. So it's a tricky situation. And I think like being able to have horses learn or at least see them with a variety of people, like in a lesson situation, um, it provides people access to horses and access to like equestrianism as a whole yeah. um, without having to go out and buy a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives the horses access to a variety of people so they can figure out what they want. And so whether you're doing it with rescue horses and you're taking rescue horses and rehabilitating them, that's awesome. You'd also even like people that maybe breed or produce sport horses, like that sort of thing, mm-hmm. produce them use them in a lesson program, give access to equestrianism, get to know who the horse likes and doesn't like and what their path is. Like maybe you got them as a hunter prospect and then they don't like jumps, you know, or maybe something happens and it's just not quite. So you can help figure out exactly where the horse will be happiest, what box it needs to go into and find a person that has that box and is ready to. Yeah. And we're using the term (laughs) box fairly loosely. It's not like you're locking him in that box, you know, it's it's a category or or like a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool because I mean, you know, as much as I'm a huge proponent for keeping your horse, like that's just kind of my stick. (laughs) I I really want people to keep their horses. And I think there's so many people are quick to okay the horse isn't meeting this you know little need or whatever move on to the next one right we we flip horses like houses or cars like or sports equipment we just we just flip them over and over again I mean I grew up in a culture where you bought your horse you had it for two years and then you flipped the horse so like you used and it didn't matter if you guys were doing good or not you just no, moved that's on. That's just what you do. Because yeah. you need to upgrade, right? You're yes. always upgrading, right? Oh, yes. It just drove yeah. me it's freaking horrible. nuts. But um, <laughs> so we live in that culture, and so I'm very anti that culture. Yeah. But there are situations, yeah. like you said, where a horse and a human are just not. Yeah. I mean, I, we were just talking about how I had an experience recently with a horse where it became pretty clear pretty quickly that the human needed a lot of training and a lot of confidence building on their own separate yeah. from the horse that they were already with that they came to yeah. me with right so they came to me prepackaged as a little relationship <laughs> that was really it was more of a fear-based relationship yeah. as far as the horse was just um very um what should I say the horse was didn't know what was expected of her. She just had a lot of, she had a lot of energy, a lot of worry, and she also had physical issues going on. She just had a lot and she was completely green. I mean, green, 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 green. And 
then we have the owner that just didn't have that training and didn't have that experience, didn't have that confidence and would need a, it needed quite a bit. And so them together was a very unsafe relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it was my recommendation to separate and, you know, I made sure the horse ended up somewhere good and with somebody who was confident to work with her. And, um, and then the other person, she went and worked with a different horse, but, um, and we actually, she, for a long time took lessons with my horses, my seniors and, and I call my seniors, (laughs) they're, they're my golden oldies. They, I love them. Um, and they helped me teach a lot of my intro beginner classes yeah. where, cause they just, they're my energy conservers. Yeah. They just like to chill. Exactly. Like just, they're good for that. They're good. That box. Yeah. They just, <laughs> they just like to see me be fed. Like we can work on mechanics. We can work on some basic little leading. It's not yeah. a big deal. Um, and so we were just boosting her confidence and boosting yeah. her skill level and her mechanics and all that. And, um, I went on the whole tangent, but my point was, is that there is absolutely that situation that does come up where, yeah, the horse needs a specific type of person yes, within reason. And there's the people can change to meet the horse's needs. And the horse can also change to meet the person's needs to a certain yeah. degree. And that's where I say, like, keep your horse. Like, yes. let, you know, let's learn from each other. Let's modify. Um, mm-hmm. Let's figure out how to help you guys out so you can stick together. But there are going to be those situations. Yeah. Where... And, yeah. And I'm really big on, like, um, exactly what you just said. Like, the human can adjust and meet the horse's needs, and the horse can adjust to meet the human's needs. And I think that that is the key there is as long as that can happen, people need to be keeping their horses. Yeah. And I think um, one problem that I've found is there are certain things that can't necessarily be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are, like, core personality things with horses where, like, one horse might take years of training to yeah. be able to change enough. But it's still possible. And that's like that situation I was just explaining. She would need years. Exactly. Yeah. And then there are also things that a lot of us don't even consider, such as like like confirmational things. Mm -hmm. Like horses have a certain length along their rib cage that they can bear weight. Mm -hmm. And people have a length along their thigh bone Mm -hmm. that determines their saddle size. Mm -hmm. And if your horse's back can only fit, let's say, up to a 16-inch saddle and your thigh bone requires a 17-inch saddle, either you are going to be squished into a saddle that is too small that will cause pressure issues for your horse's back or your horse is going to have to wear a saddle that's too long that's then going to cause pressure issues and cause back pain Mm -hmm. so in that situation and I mean 16 to 17 inches isn't a huge deal but I've seen I've had people come to me and their horse has back pain and we work through stuff but at the end of the day that horse has a maybe a 15 inch weight bearing space and they need an 18 19 inch saddle right and I'm like I know the horse is tall or stocky or whatever but at the end of the day like we can't make this work that doesn't mean so I mean that's my riding groundwork yeah Yeah, like there's still more that you can do with the horse but if you really want to ride you need to have a horse that's capable of riding or maybe the horse and it doesn't have to be saddle fit it could be they have um like body issues Mm -hmm. maybe they have old injuries or wear and tear or things that prevent them from being able to be ridden happy and comfortably well do we make the horse unhappy and uncomfortable no (laughs) you don't get to ride them at that point that's just the simple truth of it um, that doesn't mean you can't still have a great relationship with your horse, but that's where like there are people out there that want to love on the horse, or maybe there's a person that is smaller or shaped differently, or that could ride the horse, and maybe the horse needs to move on to a different home, or maybe you need to change what your expectations yeah. are, whatever the situation is. But regardless, well, that's where like lesson programs like yours come in, yeah. like going back to that of 
there's a lot of different horses there. A lot yes. of them are looking for homes. Exactly. And yep. we can kind of play musical chairs a little bit exactly. and figure yeah. out like yeah. where the relationship really fits, where your goals fit with the horse's yeah. needs. And, um, and I'm a big advocate for, you know, I wish more people would, well, I guess I should put it this way. It would be ideal if you could have assistance in looking for the horse that's going to fit yes. your needs. Right. Yeah. But it can't just be any professional out there yeah. because that professional has a certain worldview, a certain yeah. belief system around horses and yeah. a certain training approach and certain goals in mind yeah. that may or may not correlate with yours. So you have to find something that matches up with exactly. you. That's yeah. looking for, um, well, not only like they need to keep in mind what your goals are and really pay attention to that, but they also have to understand those goals and they have to understand yeah. what you need. Um, yeah. I find too often a lot of professionals will look for horses that suit them yeah. and not the students. Oh man. Yep. <laughs> um, and I, that is a big, big problem. Yeah. Uh, growing up, that was the case for yep. me as well, where, um, a lot of the professionals would buy essentially their own show horse. Yeah. And they would charge me to ride their horse. Yeah. But, I mean, it was yeah. my horse, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like exactly. they wanted yeah. to take it to the shows. They wanted to be able to say yeah. they trained this horse and all that. And yeah. that horse was not suited to me yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And I saw this happen and with other people too, over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, why are we buying the second year student, a three-year-old green horse? Yeah. That can jump, sure, it can jump like four foot and it's going to look pretty in the arena, but it's green broke, straight off the track, whatever, you know what I mean? And I'm like, this is not, this is not a good match. This is not a good plan. But that, from that situation though, like the trainer gets to, sometimes the trainer gets to ride a really nice horse that they couldn't normally afford. It's good, like job insurance too, right? Like you're, they're going to need you for that whole process, right? They're going to rely on your lessons and your training and you working with that horse. And so it gives like the professional this great situation where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I helped you find this creature that now benefits me, makes me look good. I get to hang out with the horse and like show it and do all that. And you have to keep coming back. back, Oh, it's such a terrible cycle. It's so true. It's horrible. But I, yeah, I've seen that exactly same thing over and over again and it's it's awful and I think that like finding good horse rider pairs is really important and like matching the equine to the human and making sure like at a baseline at least that like physically everything works out so there aren't any limitations there um and the horse has the potential to do whatever goals the rider or handler is looking for and then from there looking into also like personality and how the horse like moves and acts and that's something you can't know without lessons without riding and interacting with them and I was just thinking as you were talking because that's what my brain does is it thinks about two things at once same (laughs) Um, it's really cool then that these people that your students or whoever can come meet these horses and work with them and learn to work with them when they are already at like a place where they're at like homostasis right so they are in calm they are home yeah and that's truly them yeah right versus a lot of times we go horse shopping yeah. And we're seeing horses in a higher stress situation because one, they don't know you. Um, mm-hmm. They're just trotted out to sell. Sometimes they're selling at shows and so they're yeah. in a show environment. So we meet the horse in a show environment, which yeah. is totally different from when yeah. at home. Right. Yep. And um, so then sometimes if we're lucky, they'll send them home on a, like a two week trial. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Horses don't settle in for like three months. Yeah. Like exactly. So two weeks yeah. isn't going to tell you yeah. a lot, except for that maybe they weren't drugged. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's about it. Yep. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've brought home quite a few horses on two week trials 
and the horse worked out. It was fine. And I still have these horses, but they were very different three months, six yeah. months later. Yeah. Okay. They didn't I like agree. totally transform into a different horse, but no, but maybe it's different. the first two weeks they were higher energy, yeah. you know, like, oh yes, they're not an energy conserver. Then three yeah. months, six months later, I'm like, oh crap. I have a <laughs> yeah. really, really yeah. energy conserving horse. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so it's really cool then that your students get to meet these horses when they're in that good state of minds yeah. and get to spend time getting to know them and get to also learn how they've been taught and then they get to be taught the same way. And it just makes yeah. for a really good yeah. pairing. I think so. Yeah. I think it works really well. Um, and yeah, I think it leads to more like long-term success between yeah. um, like for the horse, which is really what I do this for. I love my students. I love the people, but at the end of the day, um, I like... think all equestrians, <laughs> yeah. all equestrians are like, at the end of the day, it's the horse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, yeah. And that's where like the whole philosophy and the program setup sort of came from and how like it molded itself. Um, and then in terms of like and um, the like you said like the big question I get all the time is the riding like how how do I do it how do I do it force free how do the horses not say no all the time and the reality is like horses are incredibly gentle and biddable creatures like they mm. um, and that's biddable not bitable <laughs> um, although some of them are bitable <laughs> but um biddable as in they're very easy to train they're yeah. very willing yeah. to be trained um they they want to please. Um, it's just a matter of us setting them up for success and making sure it's rewarding enough for them. Yeah, and so. I have not had a lot of issues with horses saying no excessively. Every time a horse has said no, it's a very valid reason, re, uh, very valid reason. And um, it's a great experience for the student because they get to learn something. And if they were an equestrian with their own horse, they could just as easily have an abscess or some muscle soreness mm -hmm. or something that they need to work through. Um, equestrianism isn't about going out and riding your horse every day. Yeah. Um, and so I think my kids get to learn that and they also get plenty of time in the saddle. I do walk track canner. I have horses that do jumping. I have a variety of horses. I have a horse that's doing vaulting right now with a few oh, of my kids. Cool. Like, yeah, like we've got a variety um, and it's a learning experience for me. Like I have a lot of um, like experience in a variety of disciplines and competing um, and training and lessons and all of that. Um, and it's just about transferring that to positive reinforcement, making sure that the horses are well prepared for what I'm asking of them and that the students are well prepared to handle whatever the horse may throw at them. Um, yeah. And yeah, and luckily I found with clicker training, um, I found it safer and I found it's more reliable. Um, my like accident and injury rates went way down when I switched very to positive cool. reinforcement force free. Um, we are doing like the same or very similar levels of um, like levels of riding mm -hmm. versus what I was training before with my traditional lessons. Um, and I will clarify because I didn't have a lesson string before I switched to positive okay. reinforcement. So I've taught at lesson strings. Um, and then I had like a few lease horses that I would teach lessons on. And I did private coaching. Um, but compared to the number of accidents I see and things like that at traditional barns, I found my barn is way safer. Cool. Um, and a big part of it is you're not fighting the horse every mm -hmm. step of the way. Mm -hmm. um, we like if the horse wants to say no, they do so in a safe and calm manner instead of with a bite or a kick or a buck or a rear or yeah. bolting, bolting off or whatever situation. I find the horses are calmer and more relaxed. Even the ones I mean, we're talking like behavioral euthanasia cases that used to rear and flip at the slightest thing and would bolt off and were like deemed so dangerous that they weren't supposed to live. And now being led around by a 12 year old and laying down at a show to take a nap because Aww. it's nap time <laughs> um, and totally calm the whole day with the whole Very experience. Cool. Like their attitudes change their, like their outlook on the world changes when everything, 
everything new brings treats rather than <laughs> yeah. lots of things bringing the scary opposite things. of treats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the world brings good things versus the exactly. world brings scary things or yeah. or variations of pressure yeah. and all yeah. of that. Like yeah. they're not being inundated with that. Yeah. And the other thing I found, too, is that the horses behave without um, without needing leverage and, like, pressure with handling. So mm-hmm. the the horses don't have to be strong-armed or yeah. pushed or pulled into position. And so even the littlest, tiniest kids can handle the biggest, strongest horses yeah. because we're not relying on strength. physical strength yeah. to control the horse or communicate with the horse. We get the horse to do what we want through that click and treat. And so as long as you can... I mean, I guess you didn't even have to hold the clicker. As long as you can make a distinctive tongue, noise yeah. and get a treat in that horse's mouth in some way, shape, or form, then you can you can yeah. participate. <laughs> as long as you can make a noise. Yes. And <laughs> give them some food. And it yes. doesn't even have to be by hand. You could do no. by bucket or <laughs> yep. whatever. Yep. And, and obviously there are things that make that situation a lot yeah. easier. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of success with it. I find the horses are better behaved than the traditionally trained lesson horses that I've experienced with. I find it's a lot safer. Um, I have way fewer accidents like um I don't want to jinx it like (laughs) approaching zero um we've yeah we've only only really had one but um you gave a you gave a number that's even more (laughs) (laughs) all my students are listening to this like oh Oh, I can fix that next lesson (laughs) um but yeah it's just um when it comes to safety I find that the positive reinforcement and force free is way safer um I find that we are a lot more successful because we rely on the prevent, not punish mm-hmm. um, attitude. So we are preventing accidents from happening in the first place, preventing the horse from acting out, preventing the horse from putting us into a dangerous situation and preventing ourselves from ending up in dangerous situations mm-hmm. rather than just waiting for the horse to act out or do something dangerous and then punishing it when it mm-hmm. does happen. And so we, we, I find it's a lot safer. Um, I find it's a lot more fun for the kids. Um, it's a lot lower stress. Um, I find that the kids, um, especially I find from the parents, they tell me that it does make a big impact on like how the kids interact in their lives That's after cool. the training. Yeah. Um, lots of kids have gone home and trained pets. Oh, <laughs> um, very fun. They've gone home and clicker trained dogs, cats, turtles, like whatever they have available to them. Um, and so that's really good. And then going back briefly to what we were talking about earlier with that first like five to 10 lessons, I would love to just detail that a little more so yeah. that people have a better idea of what a positive reinforcement lesson looks like, what the first like introduction looks like, and how we bridge that gap between learning what operant conditioning is and trotting around on horse. You yeah, know? for sure. Because you talked about initially, you talk about like the quadrants and, mm-hmm. or operant conditioning and you talk about um, antecedents and yes. things like that. Yeah. And then where do you guys go from there? Yeah. So we start with that theory. And then once we've gone over all of my colorful charts that hang yeah. on the hall, um, we walk across the barn to go see a horse. And I usually bring a horse up before the lesson. Um, and we do smiles. That's the very first thing they learn. <laughs> like is asking the horse to smile. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we you point your finger up in the air you can say the word smile if you want um and the horse will lift its lip up and then you click and you give them the treat so we do the smile and that way we get to apply what we just learned about the abcs they Mm -hmm. get to do an antecedent see a behavior give a consequence very cool and they also get to learn how to feed treats by hand how to use the clicker there's a little bit of coordination there and like i said sometimes very first try it's perfect we move on sometimes um we go over exactly how to hold that clicker and how to coordinate the treat bag and grabbing the treat and giving the treat and even how to feed the treat to the horse can sometimes we have to go over that so 
depends on the student. Um, once they can do that, um, then we teach them we teach them how to ask the horse to back up. Mm-hmm. Um, once they can get the horse to back up, they can go in the stall with the horse because now the horse is no longer standing with their head out the door, like begging to get treats. Now we can go in with them. Um, so, um, oh, and we usually do manners at that point too. Okay. So teaching them how to ask for that calm default behavior. Yeah. Um, once they can do that, they can go in. Um, and the first thing we do is pet the horse all over. Um, they learn how to pet, they learn how to station the horse while they're being pet. And that turns into brushing. Oh, cool. And we learn how to brush the horse. And usually that's about where we leave off on the first lesson. Okay. Um, it it's does a lot. depend on the student though. <laughs> yeah. I keep forgetting and, it's a two hour lesson though. Exactly. I mean, that yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, the next day they come back and they get started right away. They get to start brushing. They get to usually learn how to pick out feet. Um, I actually break hoof picking into three different lessons because I have a a way that I structure it, but um, but they get to start learning that. And then, um, they get to learn about the tack. I teach them why we use the tack. We do the importance of like a spinal channel on a saddle where the weight bearing area is. They get a lot of details on that. Um, they learn how to put all the equipment on, um, they learn, um, the consent cues and everything earlier on, but they get to watch for those and see all of that in action. Um, or hopefully not see that because hopefully the yeah, horse is yeah. just like, yeah, let's go, let's do it. <laughs> and then, um, they learn how to put, um, the bitless bridle on. And usually in the second lesson, we also go over some leading practice and we practice going in and out of gates. Um, I have a special way that I have my horses go in and out of gates. So, the student can call the horse up from the field and it hangs its head over the fence. You put the halter and lead rope on. Okay. When um, they're still inside. When they're still in the okay. field. All of my halters are breakaway. So even if the horse at yeah. that point decides to leave, it's not a safety issue. Um, and then we open the gate and the horse comes out and spins yeah. so that they're standing yeah. so the student can close yeah. the gate. Mm-hmm. And then when they put them away, it's a similar thing. So you walk them out, you open the gate, the horse goes out and spins. So you never even go into the pasture. Okay, nice. And then you can close it and take the halter off over the gate. Okay, so after the going in and out of the gate, what comes next? Yes. Um, so I just find that's a lot safer. It's not a necessity at all facilities. But for me, sometimes I have newer rescue horses yeah. or horses that aren't safe to be out in the field with. Um, so that's a lot easier on me. Um, then, um, that's usually the end of the second lesson. Do you have other horses in those same pastures? Do they try ever try and get out or anything? Yes. Almost always. <laughs> Everybody wants attention. Everybody yes. wants to be played with. That said, my horses station really well. Okay. Nice. Um, and we can also, I will sometimes have the kids bring a bucket of feed out and put piles of feed yeah, for the other horses yeah. and then call their horse. And usually, even though they all want to be the one getting yeah. the attention, um, most of them will stay at a station full of treats or even just a stationary target. It depends. Again, it could be a brand new rescue that doesn't know anything. And that's why I don't want a kid going out with a treat bag on. Yeah, for sure. You know? Um, So um, from there, um, the next step is to get on the horse. Um, Like I said, I have them get on and off of a fake horse first. They have to show me that they have the coordination and balance to do that. um, And they can practice that over the first couple lessons if they want to. Um, And then we take the horse into the arena and they get on the horse. And that is step one. I will lead them around and they get their balance and coordination at the walk. Um, I have lots of exercises we go over, but I want them to be able to sit there comfortably um, and move around as needed to cue the horse. From there, they learn from a halt how to click and treat. Um, The coordination involved with like, you're holding your reins, you click, you have to drop the reins or move them to one hand and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. All the coordination. Um, The balance when you are giving them the treat, how to do that safely so you're not just like hanging off your horse's shoulder trying to get that to them, but you're still balanced. I always say like you should be as balanced when you're feeding as you are any other time. Like if your horse spooks while you're giving it a treat, are you going to stay on? Yeah, for (laughs) Um, sure. So getting that coordination down. 
then we're going to start walking. Um, and usually the first thing they learn is how to get the horse to stop. Um, I lead the horse forward. (laughs) Yeah. I lead them forward. They say, whoa, the horse stops, click treat. Um, Or they might say, whoa, with a neck rope or rain aids or whatever we want to do. Depends on the horse too, what they're most comfortable with. Um, then once they can stop, they learn to go to ask them to walk forward. Then we're going to do steering. Now you have a rider that can go stop, like stop, go right, left at the walk, which is the baseline. Like, you can do a lot from there, especially yeah. with a horse that is well-trained and, like, generalized. Like, you could go on a trail ride with just that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so that's a lot. Then we're going to start to do fast, slow. Um, so teaching them to speed up in the walk and slow down in the walk. So speed control. Um, and then from there, we will either move on to start doing all of that again at the trot. Or we can start doing laterals at the walk. Mm-hmm. So we can start to do some shoulder control, hip control, bending, stuff like that. Paying attention to where the horse's body is. Um, and carriage, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, or we can also, depending on the horse, depending on the rider, what everybody's goals are, we move on to the trot. So then we're doing straight line trots off vocal cues while the rider learns to be balanced. Cool. You've got that. Now you cue them into the trot. You cue them back into the walk. You do all of that. Yeah. Cool. Now let's steer. Yeah. Awesome. Laterals, body control, carriage, yeah. all that. Let's do the canter. Skilled let's do, riders. Yeah. yeah. And then we just keep moving along. So the program is pretty, um, pretty straightforward in terms of like the pacing and structure I do. Um, and it is sort of shaped to each rider. Like some riders just want to walk around on trails all day. So, um, the program is fairly structured. The individual exercises and step-by-step may change depending on the rider's goals, what they're trying to do. Um, if they're trying to walk around on trails or if they're trying to go to jumping competitions, you know, like it'll depend. Do you ask Um, them these goals like early on? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of the first things I ask. And it's always one that gets a funny response because they're coming out for their very first lesson. And if it's a little tiny kid, I'll ask the parents as well, or even if it's an older kid, I want to know where the parents are at and what their expectations are. Um, but I asked, I'm like, what are your goals? Like, what do you want to do with horses? And a lot of times people don't know how to answer that. They're like, I don't know. Like, you're supposed to tell me that. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and some people have really clear expectations and goals in mind, but either way, I want them to think about that. Like, and with kids, sometimes I help them. I'm like, if you like close your eyes, picture yeah. you and a horse, what do you see? And Black is it Beauty or exactly galloping bareback <laughs> down the beach or like whatever it is. Right. And I'm like, we, we can, we can work towards any goal you want to. Like most yeah. of my kids are riding bridalists within maybe like two or three months of riding okay. with me. Um, and that's mostly because the horses are clicker training. Yeah, you don't yeah. need the head stall on them. Yeah. It's um, like, it doesn't really matter. It's just the cue is different. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the main thing is, it's just that like, you get to have leverage. You get to, yeah. you get to, you don't have to like be perfect at, please go this way. You get to be like, your nose goes there. And then like have them go along, you know. <laughs> the more obvious cue. Um, so, um, but yeah, but they, um, they enjoy it and it is, it's fairly um, straightforward. So I guess that's my answer to the question that I get a lot, which is like, how, how do you ride with positive reinforcement? Um, it's a very similar program structure to what I did with pressure release. The only difference is, it's just better. Yeah. Just better. <laughs> the only difference is the horses are trained differently, but yeah. it's the same thing. You have well-trained horses that know what's expected of them and that understand like what they're supposed to be doing. They are well-motivated so that I know that they'll, they will be compliant. Um, and I have clear consent signals so that they can say no if they don't want to do something. And then I teach the humans how to be a part of that. Very cool. So, yeah. So I had a quick question. Um, yeah. So let's say, okay, actually, I just want to ask you, 
ratio wise, like how many horses are in your lesson program versus how many students do you have? And like, how often are your horses giving lessons? So each of the horses. Yeah. So right now I have six horses in my program that are actively given, giving lessons with kids. Um, I actually had one that just got adopted. So his spot is currently available and I have two horses that need to take his spot because I'm over full and can't say no to rescue horses. (laughs) Um, but, um, Um, so typically I try to keep, um, ideally I would want to have between like five and 10 lesson horses tends to be like the magic number. And again, it depends on the horses. I could have five horses. And if I have like a big, fast horse, a small, fast horse, a big, slow horse, a small, slow (laughs) horse, um, like I'm pretty set, right? If I, as long as I have, um, the ability, if I get a larger rider, if I get a smaller rider, if I get one that wants to do advanced, like fast paced lessons, if I get one that needs to do like beginner lessons, um, having that variety is important, but it depends on the rescues I get in. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I have four horses that all fit the same role. And so I need to have three or four more horses to fill all those roles. Um, And sometimes it's hard to know because I don't know when I get the rescue what role it's going to fill. And so there have been times that like for a brief period, I had no ponies. I only had, it was like 15, two and up. And that was all I had. Um, So I had little kids on big horses, which isn't a problem for a lot of them, but a few were a little intimidated by it. Um, And it took me a few months before I had some of the rescue ponies trained up. And then like, sometimes I get to a point where um, like right now I have one large horse and mm-hmm. that's it. Like everybody oh, else is like pony. 14 one and under. And I'm like, oh no, we're having the opposite problem now. Um, so there are issues there. And again, I think part of that comes from being a rescue rehab. In terms of how many students I have, um, I teach four days a week right now. Um, and I have roughly 30 students. Um, I have a few that come out multiple times a week, but usually I have um, about eight to 10 students each day okay. um, for four days of the week. Um, and I find that that works pretty well with the number of horses I have. I try not to make a horse do like, ideally they would do one lesson each of those four days. So it'd be four days a week that they're doing lessons one day each. Sometimes depending on scheduling, they might have two kids in one day and I just make sure they have the next day off, um, so that it sort of balances out. Um, and it depends on the horse. Like sometimes... I'm sure like there are some rescues I get in that can only do two or three days a week. There are some I get in that could happily go like two rides a day for seven days a week and still be like athletic beasts and do whatever they want, you know? Um, So it, it depends on the horse, but that tends to be like my general rule of thumb. Um, And then I try to, I have one day a week that I dedicate to um, like things at the barn. (laughs) I don't schedule anything for that day. It's just, I go to the barn and do all that stuff that I have been pushing off for the entire previous week. Um, and including on that day is I work with all the lesson horses. So I make sure that they get at least one day day a week, (laughs) at least one day a week, they get a session with me. Um, I try to fit in more if I can, but that helps maintain their training and progress them with their training. Mm -hmm. Um, in addition to that's one of the great things about clicker training and teaching the kids to be involved with the horse's training progress is every lesson that they do, the horses are getting training. Like they're getting reinforced on behaviors they already know how to do. Or with some of the more advanced kids, they actually get to learn new things that they didn't know before. That's cool. Um, So the lessons really like help me rehabilitate these horses and keep them well-trained. That's nice. Well, um, I think we're going to have to wrap it up, even though we could probably keep talking for forever. <laughs> Actually, you've been here since 12 and we've been talking nonstop yeah. since then. So and it's now, what time is it? Um, it is 5.30. Yeah, 5.30. <laughs> so we've been talking pretty much for five and a half hours straight. And, um, but I think we're going to have to wrap it up because we're at an hour, almost an hour and a half. But 
if people want to get a hold of you or find you or social media or whatever yes. or sign up for your lesson program, how can they do that? So my website is skequine.com. Um, and I also have social media. Everything should be under Steph K Equestrian. Um, and I think that's probably the best way to reach me. I have other contact info listed on there. Um, but most of my information is on there. Facebook, Instagram is where I post things. Um, and then the website has like general information about if people want to sign up for lessons, virtual coaching, um, if they want to do the clicker show, anything yeah. like that, it's all on there. Um, okay. as well as info about like the rescue program and stuff like that. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all of this really fantastic information. <laughs> I learned so much listening to you. <laughs> well, thank um, you. <laughs> I hope to one day have a more uh, robust lesson program. <laughs> and so this is going to help me get, you know, I, I, I'm actually imagining in my head, I'm going to come visit you and like, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and like watch your program <laughs> and see, cause I have lots to learn. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it. And for all my listeners, uh, definitely check out her social media and website um, and Instagram is fantastic place. And if you have any follow-up questions for Steph, definitely feel free to message me and we'll see if maybe we can have a follow-up podcast episode in the future. We'll see. But until next time, thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. I'm also on a lot of different social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. So check those out. And I'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to email or send me a message.